According to the Apostle Paul, Antichrist moves in to the church when even the smallest portion of Scripture is removed deliberately by the church in order to do what people want to do. The only restraint that we as Christians have against Antichrist, against sin, are the scriptures. The scriptures free us from sin, but most people want to be free to sin. They want to have approval so they can sin. But we who are born again and really follow God want We want freedom from sin. We don't want approval to sin. We want freedom from sin. And the scriptures are freedom from sin when we do them. Recently, I heard a scripture by the Holy Spirit. And it was in Hebrews chapter 12. And it says, let us lay aside every weight. There are many times that we take on burdens that are not of God. Our mind leads us into certain burdens. And I had taken on a burden that really was not of God. And it will pull you down. And God mercifully gave me this scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. Laying aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We keep our eye on our assignment, our responsibility. Curiosity can sometimes draw our mind away to other things, and it may not be a sin at first, but it is a burden to us, a grief to us sometimes. And we're pulled down a little bit by it, and then we're weakened. Lay aside every weight. That's in Hebrews 12, verse 1. When the Holy Spirit gives you a scripture to help you, we must focus on that scripture. I take the scripture and make a screen print of it and put it in my Kindle photo album. So that when I want to pull it up, I know exactly where it is. It's there at that photo album. And also I reinforce myself day and night. Until that scripture gets so deeply in me, it becomes automatic to do it. I don't have it that deeply in me yet. So I have it in my Kindle photo album where I can pull up that scripture and meditate upon it day and night. And it says in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 that if we will meditate in the law of God, the word of God, day and night, the power of God will get strong enough that we can do that scripture. And then in everything we will prosper and have good success. I'm still working on that verse of scripture. But if you want to get strength of God, Take whatever scripture is given you by the Holy Spirit or a concept. Keep it before you until you actually can do it almost automatically. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. The gospel of Christ means God's story. God's story. It doesn't just mean the crucifixion. It means whatever story is given to you, whatever God says to you. Pam Paget had been raised Catholic. She turned to God one night, and she knew the Catholic Church would not save her. And she said to God, I'm, I know that there's God and there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I don't know which one I'm supposed to pray to, but would you please get this prayer to the right one? <laughs> Whether it's God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. So she was a teenager then, I think. And she said, I know I can't be saved by the Catholic Church or something like that. Please, if there's any way you could, please save me. At that point, after praying that, she knew something of God was in her. I think she was only about 14 when she prayed that. But she kept knowing something of God was in her. When she was in college, she saw the scripture that talked about, Know ye not the Holy Ghost is in you. And she said, That's it. That's what it is. This is, I think, in 1 Corinthians 3. She had no idea what it was until then, but she knew something of God was in her. Later, as she was a young adult, she rented a room at a uh, home where this woman was twice divorced and had a young daughter. This woman and Pam both went to the same church, some non-denominational church, and they were in the singles class together, and this woman began hunting for a husband. Pam told her, said, according to the Bible, if you remarry after divorce, you commit adultery. The woman said to her, I don't care what the Bible says. Pam was shocked. How can a Christian not care what the Bible says? This woman went on and found a man at that church to marry in the singles class. They were going to get married, and Pam found out about it. She went to the man that the woman was going to marry, and she told him that according to the Bible, if he married a divorced woman, he commits adultery. Matthew five thirty-two. as Jesus said that. And the man said he would think about it. She went to the maid of honor from the singles class, who was going to be maid of honor in the wedding, and she said, if they marry, this will be adultery. And the woman said, well, I know it will be, but um, they're going to marry anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, be maid of honor. And I heard a scripture when Pam told me this story, and that is, be not partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. I knew the woman was go went the wrong way. It was already all over the time I met Pam. But Pam went through some interesting things as a result of her decision of telling the gospel to these, these people. See, the gospel is all of the Word of God. It's not just one part of the Word of God. It's everything in the New Testament Bible. 
It's everything that God would tell you. God told me once not to testify at a court trial. So I went to the lawyer and I said, you may not want to represent me in this trial, but God has told me not to testify. The lawyer said, no, I think we'll win the case anyway because Flo witnessed everything. She was a woman who worked for me and she witnessed it all and she'll testify. I said, fine. So we proceeded knowing I would not testify. But when Flo heard I wasn't going to testify, she was angry. She said, now all the burden's on me. And I said, well, what can I do? I believe God has told me don't testify, so I can't do it. And then the man I was dating at that time, was he was thought I was going the wrong way, and so he was going to try to turn me. He came to me and said, Joan, you're not doing this girl any favor by not testifying. I said, well, I'm not trying to do her any favor. I'm simply trying to follow what I believe to have been a God speaking. And I believe God told me, don't testify. So I can't testify. Turned out to be a two-day court trial. And the lawyer came to me the second day of the trial. And he said, Joan, if you will testify, I know we will win this case. But if you don't testify, I don't know if we'll win. He said, Flo's uh, testimony wasn't as strong as I had hoped it would be. But if you testify, we'll win. So I told him, I said, well, let me see. So I went into the ladies' room at the courthouse, and I said to God, what do you want me to do about this? And I heard, don't testify. So I went back into the courtroom, and the lawyer looked at me immediately, and I just shook my head no. I did not testify, and we did win the court trial. You must go in the way of God, and it must be strong enough, whether it's a scripture or a word like that. It must be strong enough in you that you do it, that you follow the instructions, even when everyone of your own household is upset with you. It's not unusual when I hear a word from God. It's not at all unusual for people in my own circle of friends, church friends, to try to get me to stop doing what I believe God has shown me to do. When I went on radio, I was really quite popular with the church people. I was speaking messages on taking thoughts captive, dealing with destructive thoughts, following God by the Holy Spirit. I was very popular. And I was on radio from coast to coast. And the crowds were getting bigger and bigger that attended my meetings. I had a meeting in Seattle, Washington, and was en route to the airport to come back to Dallas, where I lived at that time. And God spoke to me by the Spirit, which means a thought came into my mind. But it was the Holy Spirit. And he said, now the foundation is laid. Now we're really going to move. I thought that was wonderful. The ways of God might be different from what we think. I got back to Dallas, and shortly thereafter, I was returning from a meeting in New Mexico, and all the way home to Dallas, I heard something from the Holy Spirit. 
over and over and over. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The time has come judgment must begin at the house of God. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. All the way back to Dallas, this thought kept being spoken to me. It is a scripture, 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it begin first at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? I had no idea what that meant. Shortly after this, God began to get my attention called to things being done by big-time radio and television preachers. And I saw that they were going the wrong way, and I had to try to get a message to them concerning the correct way to go. I couldn't get a message to anyone except Robert Tilden, my own pastor. I was able to get a message to him, but I wasn't able to get a message to Jim Baker or Jimmy Swaggart. When I would try to send something to them, the people who opened their mail would dispose of of the message, and I knew it was happening. Jim Baker's is a really strange case. This was in 1982, before all the scandals broke about Jim Baker. I sent a message to him. The the thing God showed me to send to him was uh, on adultery. I didn't know Baker was committing adultery at that time, but I sent him a cassette tape on the subject of adultery. And I said, this is a message from a prophet. I sent it on our letterhead, Jesus Ministries. And I identified myself as a prophet, and I was fairly well known at that time because I was on radio in quite a few places. Anyway, I got a form letter back from supposedly Jim Baker. It was really just an office worker who was told to send form letters back to people who sent materials to Jim Baker. The form letters, now have to remember that at the top of my letterhead, I put the name of the ministry, Jesus Ministries. I identified myself as a prophet of God with a message for Jim Baker, and I signed my name. The person who sent me the response sent me a form letter from Jim Baker saying, Dear Jesus, thank you for your inspiring message. Jesus I want you to know that Tammy Faye and I prayed for you today. We all know how phony it can be in ministries. But that was the epitome of phoniness. Jesus, I want you to know that Tammy Faye and I prayed for you today. Well, I never got the message to Jim Baker. One message was for Jimmy Swaggart, and that was again in 82. And that message was, um, I knew he, he wanted larger crowds, and he went to his, his advertising agent, who at that time was my advertising agent. He went to his advertising agent, and he told them he wanted to increase the size of his crowds. And they told him, well, stop preaching so much and do more music, because he was a country-western type music performer. So perform more music, but preach less. 
Well, his crowds greatly increased from 500 to maybe two or 3,000 and maybe larger. And then he went on television. This was told to me by his own ad agency. I had to try to get a message to Jimmy Swaggart. I knew the message didn't get through. So what am I to do? I'm asking God, how can I get these messages to these people? I saw a scripture at that time where Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Beware of him. He warned the church about this man, and he warned him by naming him by name. That scripture gave me the courage to tell on my own radio broadcast the name of these men and what they had done. Well, hate mail just poured into our office. Hate mail from their followers, sort of like the Donald Trump followers who objected to the things that happened on the riot. They sided with Donald Trump. This is what I experienced in the church people. They were just flooding our office with hate mail, the Swaggart followers and the followers of Jim Baker. That was in 1982. I also had a message for Kenneth Copeland. Now, Kenneth Copeland's mother was a close friend of mine. I'd never met Kenneth Copeland in person. They lived in Fort Worth, and his mother lived in Fort Worth, and his dad. I had been in Vanetta and A.W.'s house many times, and I went to some of Vanetta's meetings over in Fort Worth. She came to my meetings. She and A.W. both came to my meetings. Kenneth's father and his mother came to my meetings. So I knew them well, but I could not get a message to Kenneth Copeland. I didn't try going through Vanetta or going through A.W. I sent it to his office and again identified myself as a prophet. He knew of me by then. His mother would have told him about me. He knew my name. But still, I couldn't get a message to him. So on my radio broadcast, which went coast to coast, I gave the message that I couldn't get to him. I even gave the message at one of my meetings in Fort Worth where Kenneth lived. The people at my meeting were his, his people. The message was this. You cannot take a birthday gift from the church as a tax-deductible gift and go on a trip for your birthday. His church people took up offerings to send him and Gloria on a birthday vacation to Hawaii. Those offerings were tax-deductible offerings. And this was a pleasure trip. I knew it wouldn't be legal, that he must stop that, not do that. That was the message I had for him. The message I had for Robert Tilton was a good deal more seriously. He was my own pastor at that time. The message I had for Bob is this. He had a television program. One of the women from our congregation who was identified as a prophet called me in tears. Bob had invited her to be on his television program. And just before they went on camera, Bob said to her, just one thing, Ava, don't mention anything about being a prophet because it's not popular. Ava was in tears when she called me after the program. I told Bob this, and I knew it was a sentence on him from God. You killed a prophet when you did that. You stopped her from speaking freely. 
and you did it for popularity. Therefore, your house will be left desolate unto you. And I quoted a scripture which says your house will be left desolate unto you if you kill a prophet. Keep her from speaking. I sent the letter to Bob by cassette tape, the message. He knew I was a prophet. He's, he from the pulpit himself said, Joan is not a teacher, she's a prophetess. So Bob knew. And he had a lot of respect for me. From the pulpit, he would acknowledge me every service when, I, when he came in. And I was in there, he would always bow or acknowledge me. One of the people that was with me at that time said, that's really something when the pastor turns to you and acknowledges you before the sermon." Bob was afraid of me, and he knew very well that I was a prophet, and he knew he could not control a prophet. Therefore, he never invited me to speak at church. One time, Marilyn Hickey came to speak at Word of Faith, and Marilyn gave my testimony, and everybody looked at me. Everybody knew it was my story. But Bob never invited me to give that story. Why? Because he knew he could not control me. You can't control a prophet. A prophet serves God and will speak the things of God. And hopefully other ministers do that sometimes too. Let's look at Galatians 1 for just a minute on what Paul said. There had been someone in the church in Galatians that was trying to put them into bondage. And Paul said, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. Verse 10 of Galatians 1. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We, as prophets, deliver messages from God as God wills. So I, from coast to coast, delivered these messages. The one to Bob Tilton, which I was telling you about, was the message on killing the prophet. And I asked somebody at the office, did Bob hear this message? And they said, oh, yes, he heard it. She said, he got Marty, his wife, first wife, and they put the tape on, and several of us from the office staff listened to the message. And afterward, Bob took scissors and cut the tape in little pieces, threw it in the wastebasket, and quoted scripture around it. I said, all that's important is that if he heard the message, for if he heard the message, he will never be able to forget it, that he killed a prophet. That was from the Holy Spirit. He can't forget that. He can destroy the tape recording, but he'll never forget the message. After that, that was in 82. After that, with these three men, with Swigert, Baker, and Tilton, every one of them, ran into serious trouble. With Bob, it was really bad. He and his wife divorced. He married another woman. They divorced, and then he married a third woman. He lost his 
entire church in Farmer's Branch, Texas, north of Dallas, had an 8,000-seat church building at that time. Somehow he lost it. I don't know how. But they ended up, Farmer's Branch, the city, took the property, and they tore the church building down and built, I think, a youth hockey center. And you would never even know a church building had ever been at that location. He went off to Florida to try to start another church. And according to Wikipedia, he is now in Culver City, California. He says he has a church, but when a reporter tried to go to that church, it was six people meeting around a conference table at the hotel. And when they found out that he was a reporter, they ushered him out of the room and told him not to come back. That's according to Wikipedia. Bob got into a huge scandal with um, ABC Primetime Live. It was over offerings. He was telling people, send me your prayer request. The prayer requests were being sent to the church in Texas and were being forwarded unopened to his bank in Tulsa, where somebody at the bank opened the envelopes, I mean, a, the, the huge number of envelopes per day, because Bob was on national television by that time, and radio. Huge number of offerings were coming in, $80 million a year at the time ABC did this report. The letters were being sent from where the church is in Texas to a bank in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where tellers were assigned to open the envelopes, take out the money, and deposit it in the bank account and throw the prayer request in the garbage. ABC Primetime News went out into the back of the bank and got in dumpsters and dug out some of those prayer requests to make their report. Well, it just ruined Bob Tilton. The thing that I told Bob, because you've killed a prophet, your house will be left desolate to you. You can read that, what will happen to you if you kill prophets. It's in Matthew chapter 23 at the bottom of the chapter. That's what happened to Bob. People in his own church began filing lawsuits against him. One man in particular filed a lawsuit against him because it, he said it was fraud, that he promised a hundredfold return on the offerings, and he didn't get a hundredfold return. Well, that's so corrupt using it for offerings, that hundredfold return. A hundredfold return is for those who leave their homes and their children and their wife in order to preach the gospel. It's not even have anything to do with offerings. Matthew 19 Start at verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, to Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
Now verse 29. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. That has nothing to do with offerings. But I've heard preachers talk about a hundredfold return on your offerings. And it is fraudulent. It is extortion when a preacher preaches that. The federal courts dismissed the case and would, have, would not hear the case. But it is incorrectly spoken by any preacher who uses it in connection with taking up an offering. For hundredfold return has nothing to do with the subject of an offering. Jim Baker, 1982, had a theme park, and he had sold a certain number of, some kind of pledge for a certain amount of money for the theme park, and if you gave that money, you could come and stay in the theme park hotel. The only problem was he outsold the number of rooms available at the hotel. He was tried in court and sent to prison for that. Tammy Faye and Jim Baker divorced, and she remarried, committing adultery. Because the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery, and the woman who remarries after divorce commits adultery when her husband is still living. So she committed adultery. She died of cancer. Jim Baker got out of prison and remarried, and last I heard of him, he was preaching on TV again and in Branson, Missouri. That was my last, last time I heard of Baker. Jimmy Swaggart was caught with a prostitute, and he gave a tearful plea over his television program, I Have Sinned. I Have Sinned. And he was crying. And the Assembly of God Church did nothing at all about him. They said, we must pray for Brother Swaggart. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul tells us what to do if a brother in Christ commits fornication and other things. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Paul says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother, a brother in Christ, be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. Don't eat the word of God with him. Don't eat physical food with him. Don't have anything to do with him. Then Paul said, God judges the world. He says, well, what have I to do to judge them that are without, meaning without the church? But do you not judge them that are within? Them that are without, God judges. But within the church, we're supposed to judge. When that has happened, we judge it. Don't eat with them. Don't keep company with them. And then in verse 13, Paul says, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Here, Jimmy Swagger is caught with a prostitute, does a tearful plea in front of the church. The Assembly of God Church just wants to counsel him and pray for him. Paul said, put him away. They ignore the Bible and continue with Swagger. 
About three years later, he does the same thing again. He is caught with a prostitute. And this time, he said, The Lord has said, It's none of your business what I do. So his attitude went steadily downhill. Basically, he's delivering a message to the church. It's none of your business what I do. We're the body of Christ. It's your little finger, if it gets hurt, the whole body suffers. It's very much its business what the little finger has gotten itself into. Your whole body suffers. Same thing with the body of Christ. Yes, it's everyone's business in the church. We, we don't live two lives. We live a life at home that's the same as the life at church. We don't live a life at church and then a life at home. The Bible teacher at Word of Faith, sadly, this happened. He was a divorced man. He, one wife, one child. He was our Bible teacher. I heard about him having a girlfriend. I heard this from a woman who owns a coffee shop in the same area where my business was. I would go in and get coffee, and she mentioned him, and I told her that he was our Bible teacher. And she said, Oh, he's such a bad influence on my boyfriend. I was shocked. I was shocked at his private life. And she mentioned his girlfriend. Well, none of us knew about a girlfriend. I knew he was having trouble with going to bars, and God had shown me. I had told him. I told this. Told him. I said, I know you're having trouble in going to bars. You're trying to go to bars. And he said, yes. And I said, well, God has told me to tell you, before you get ready to leave for the bar, sit down and write a teaching to me and mail it. He did that for about five days, and he told me every time he did it, he was losing his desire to go to the bar. And then he quit doing it. Then there was this girlfriend, and I'm probably a long string of women, but there was this girlfriend. So I went to him and I said, I've heard about this girlfriend. Tell me about it. Well, he was very evasive. I point blank said, are you having sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, of course. And then I said, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you anymore. I can't come to your Bible class. And he said, that's right. He didn't care. This was our Bible teacher committing fornication. What did Paul say to do? Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 5. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one known not to eat. I can't go to his Bible class. And he totally agreed. And he didn't care. Back to the story of Pam Paget, who's been telling these people in her singles class at church that if they marry, they will commit adultery. These people married, and Pam continued to attend that church, but she had moved a good distance away from it, so she only went to the 11 o'clock service. 
At the 11 o'clock service, the singles class all sat together. So Pam went into the 11 o'clock service and sat down where they always sat when she was in the singles class. And none of them showed up to sit by Pam. She looked around the church building, and there they were sitting in the back of where they always sat up. So the next time she came, she sat in the back, and they sat in the old place where the singles class was. And the next time she came, they were there, and she went and sat down beside them, and every one of them, without any word whatsoever to Pam, got up and moved away from her. Pam didn't know what she had done. She didn't understand that you can be persecuted by the church if you tell them something from the Bible. She cried out to God, What have I done? Did I do something wrong? What have I done? A few weeks later, a woman in that church came to her and said, I have a message for you from God. He knows how the singles class are treating you. And God wants you to know that you did what he wanted you to do in telling them about adultery. Are you willing to give up everything for the Word of God? Even a small portion of the Word of God, like the small portion in Matthew 5:32, where it says the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Are you willing to go by that scripture? Are you willing to tell that scripture to other people at your church? Are you willing to tell it to men who are getting married to divorced women? Are you willing to risk the friendship of those people? Are you willing to give up everything for the gospel? You better be, because that's what's going to happen. After I began presenting judgment messages... Radio stations began putting me off the air. After I began speaking the truth, the counsel of God that he had given me, hate mail began to pour in. My own staff began to leave me. My best friend left. She came to me once and said, Joan, are you sure you're right about this? And I said, yes. She said, is there any way you can be wrong? And I said, no. She left. People who worked for me left. Everybody left except for one part-time worker. Well, I had to um, technically fire one of the people who was in charge because um, we were having a financial problem at that time, and this part-time worker called me. I was having a meeting in Seattle, and she said, Has anyone told you about the problem? And I said, No. What problem? She said, Well, we can't pay next month's radio bills. I was horrified. I had never heard anything like this. So I turned to God and I said, what's wrong? And I heard the name of this person who had been in charge of everything at the office. She wasn't taking money from us illegally or immorally. But what she was doing was paying very high salaries to all of our workers because she was in the faith movement and felt God wanted to bless them with our money. And we couldn't pay our radio bills. So I heard that one name when I prayed, and I just called her on the phone, and I said, You're fired. God has shown me you're the reason for our financial problems. 
Turned out she was paying enormous salaries to our workers. Now, I received $400 a month at that time. They were receiving $1,500 a month and so. The man who did our taxes, just part-time, I mean, we only saw him once a, I suppose, once a season, and he was making something near 2000 And I made 400 And Peggy, my secretary, made 400 a month. And they were making huge amounts of money because in the faith movement, Chris had picked up that God wants to bless people and she was blessing everyone with our money and we couldn't pay our bills. The minute I got rid of Chris, now she wasn't doing it corruptly. She was just following the wrong concepts. She thought that's what God would want her to do. So there was nothing illegal about what she was doing. It was just we couldn't pay our bills and it wasn't God leading her to do all give our money away the minute I got I fired Chris I took over the bookkeeping and within a month we had no problem paying our bills so but they all left me I lost everything I lost everyone so it can cost you everything now today God has worked it out 30 some odd 40 years later where I live in the home of Pam Padgett. And it's great. Why? Because we both turn to God with our problems and hear from God with our problems. We don't cast our problems on each other. We're very, very careful about that. We turn to God when we have a problem. And he tells us what to do. We may or may not share it with the other person before we do it. We take care of the problem. And then sometimes we'll tell the other person, I had this problem, but I turned to God and he showed me what to do and here's what I did. And it took care of the problem. We're not each other's God. We turn to God. So God worked it out for me at the age of 80. I'm 83 now to live in the home of Pam Padgett. I can only walk with a walker and not very far at that. And Pam brings me my food and helps me. So it's really great. It's better than the life I've ever had. The best life I've ever had is right now with another believer who truly turns to God and is godly. It's wonderful. So the end, my, the end of my life is better than the beginning, just like Job. But along the way in the middle, you will end up choosing either the way of God or the way that you think will benefit you the most. And if you choose the way of God, you often run into a situation where your foes are they of your own household. And if you turn and go the way they're going and leave the way of God and compromise the scripture... Or if you do that with your church group in order to stay with them and compromise the scripture, you have set your path toward destruction. That is Antichrist. So you have to love the word of God more than you love anything else. More than you love your family. More than you love your church group. More than you love your friends. You have to go in the way of God. And when you do that, you may lose everything else, including money. But 
From my experience, I have all that I need. Yes, there were less offerings, but I had no lack, no want. The Lord is my shepherd, the word of God. The Lord is the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. When you follow him, you may have less money, but you don't need anything. And that's the way it works. One last story. I was in Seattle during the years when I was having to do the judgment messages on radio. I was in Seattle having a meeting, and the radio station manager at Seattle was waiting outside the door of the meeting room. George was usually very friendly to me, but this time he didn't look friendly. And George said to me, Joan, you have many good messages. Just speak those messages on radio instead of these judgment messages. But if you continue to speak these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. The Holy Spirit spoke through me to George and said, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message and I may as well be off the air. They did put me off the air in Seattle. But that word, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message. I shouldn't be making these podcasts if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God. I shouldn't be writing on the blog. I shouldn't be on radio. I shouldn't be in front of people, period. For the only message that's worth anything is the message that's from God. And the Apostle Paul told the church at Ephesus, the elders, in Acts 20, I have spoken unto you all the counsel of God and have withheld nothing. There are many churches and many preachers who withhold portions of scripture from the congregation because it would not be popular. And Matthew 5.32 is one of those scriptures. I've never heard Matthew 5.32 spoken at any church. They withhold it. Never heard any preacher say, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That would offend a great many people, for a great many people in the congregation have married divorced women, and they would be upset with that. See, there's a price to pay to be a Christian, and it is the love of the Word of God, that you love the Word of God more than anything. And it ends up being, really, the only thing that matters Thank you for allowing me to speak to you today.